Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, learning about the Lord's Prayer. All the little ones who want to go back with Pam, you can do that. And uh, we're going to um, read it. Uh, and, but before we get there, you know, we, Rachel said very well, the incense, the prayers of the saints uh, were meant to be uh, an unending kind of a, like the waves of the sea. Uh, do, do, the, do the waves in the sea ever stop? Uh, especially if you were to tally them up uh, on every beach, on every bit of the planet. There's not a moment uh, in all of everyday life that the, oh, a wave is not crashing somewhere at some time, right? It's just constant. Do you know we've reached the point uh, on this planet where there are enough believers who know the Lord's Prayer that, like the waves of the sea, uh, if you're wondering, what does heaven hear? What does Jesus on the throne hear? He hears a constant roar of his people, constantly saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Think of it. They're over with the, if it weren't enough, there are believers, there are saints who've been promoted to heaven, a better place than good now. Good is with being with Christ right now. But we have reached the place in, in the program of God that, like the ocean's waves, a constant crying for the Lord. That's where we live. Uh, on the one planet where it seems like the prince of the power of the air dominates. And he is quite a stinker, quite a dictator. But he, our Lord Jesus, has uh, placed upon this earth uh, an up outpost of heaven in his church. Uh, you are colonists. <laughs> you are colonists uh, bringing heaven to bear. Uh, on this earth. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, our, uh, the Father's will, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So um, I'm going to bow now and pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, and if you know it, you're welcome to recite it. If not, just listen and, and, and commit it to memory uh, it would be my recommendation. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Come, Lord Jesus. So we're talking about heaven today in how we pray on earth as it is in heaven. Let's read, actually, uh, Matthew 6. I'll begin there in verse 9. Uh, if I didn't tell you the page number, I think it's page 811, 811. Uh, and if you get there after we read it, that's fine. You'll refer to it later as we go along. So here we are, uh, Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, teaches us how to pray. He says this, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about heaven. Uh, in a way, it's a sermon partly on heaven, but not really because it's on prayer. 
and how heaven is related to prayer, how praying, how this world, the ordinary day in and day out relates to heaven, it relates to God who is on his throne in heaven. Stephen Hawking, a very brilliant man, at least as physicists think, I've read a portion of what he's written and doesn't understand very much at all, to be honest with you. Uh, but he, he quipped this, and he, I think he's, he since uh, has passed away, but I wonder if he would re- revise his statement now. But this is what he said, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. To which John Lennox, who is still, I believe, alive, he's a great apologist in Britain, quipped this response to him. Atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, John Lennox, he's also brilliant. I mean, the guy who talks about AI and other things from a Christian worldview quite a remarkable man that God's blessed us with. But, but I do think, uh, you know, that old adage, that they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I, I think that's not how Jesus taught his people to be. If that's the, the way that the world views us as Christians, we've missed the boat. Because in fact, the only way you become, according to Christ, earthly good at all, of any use at all, uh, in any lasting eternal way, is if you are heavenly minded. It's only colonists who have their attention on the main goals, the main thing that God God is on his throne and ordering their affairs now in light of his, his kingdom who are able to serve well. Remember, some of us have gone through the parable of the talents at great length. And remember, it's a picture of heaven breaking in. That is the rule of God breaking into this world. Remember, Jesus, the master, gives to three servants, one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And, and they, they discharge their duties. They use those talents. At least two of the three guys did. And then what is heaven like? Well, the Lord returns, that's the dawn of heaven, if you read Revelation. In the parable of talents, the master returns, and what does heaven look like? Does he promote them with little wings and little harps? Do they sit around on fluffy, cottony things and do nothing? If your hope is that heaven is this grand retirement, you, you, you didn't read carefully, you get more work. You get more work. The one with five talents who is faithful is given how many? Five more. Now he has ten talents. And you might think, oh, what a drag. I hate work. Well, that's because you live under the curse. You live in a planet that's set in opposition to God. You deal with uh, curses in your body and around outside you. I get that. Uh, but with the power of the living God, when God comes to dwell and make his dwelling among men on earth, the new heavens, the new earth, man does work becoming a thrill. Man, is it exciting. And, and, and really, this world, this life, what you're, you're doing right now is, is an audition uh, to make the team, if you will. Not, I don't know you're not going to do good enough to make the team like by your merit, but I mean, God will give to you in proportion to your faithfulness now. It says, Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. What was he talking about? He's like, you live well now so that you're capable and ready to live well later. Right? It's not a utopia. It's not a everything works out and there's no difficulties, no challenges, no conflict. Heaven is this place where God's in charge. And, and his people are needed. When we get to heaven, we are needed there. We, he, he, in fact, I think of the millennial kingdom, and that's confusing. I know there's a lot of debate about that. But imagine a place where Jesus is on his throne on the planet, and he has all these faithful colonists all over the world uh, bringing order to different sectors of the planet. And the extraordinary thing is in the program of God is even when Jesus is on the throne physically present with people who live longer and and who have ordering their affairs. Even in that context, 
Sin is so deeply embedded that the enemies of God will rally themselves, surround the camp of God, and try to destroy his people and annihilate Jesus and his people on the, on the earth again. But then a word is spoken, fire from heaven annihilates the enemies of God permanently. No more sin, no more temptation. That's the permanent heaven, the eternal heaven, the place with God that awaits all who are faithful in Christ. On earth as it is in heaven, that is a fantastic and a, a deep uh, phrase. It modifies the previous two. The Greek word order, incidentally, I'm not, not quibbling about the English translation. It's been around for 500 years. It's good. Uh, um, on earth as it is in heaven. Or on, but the Greek order is actually this. As in heaven, so also earth. The Greek is, as in heaven, so also in earth. In other words, the, the order matters in some ways because the emphasis is on heaven, not so much earth. Or really, it's about God breaking into the earth, bringing heaven here. So you're begging God, you're crying out, God, thy kingdom come as it is in heaven, so also here on earth. Your kingdom obviously is present in heaven. No one thwarts you in your home the dwelling place of God. So bring it here. We're tired of ourselves accidentally thwarting you in our lives and definitely tired of the wicked getting in their way. Bring thy kingdom here as in heaven, so also on earth, Lord. Thy will be done as in heaven, Lord, because it clearly you call the shots in your house. Now we live in someone else's house right now, in a way, the prince of the power of the air. And it's mysterious why the Lord would, our God, our creator, the maker of this universe, would, would give such a long leash, I'll call it, to our great enemy, Satan. But he has. Let's not second guess him. He, he's doing something. But praise God, with such a long leash, such a ravenous, soul-hungry beast, that some are saved. Some are delivered from the concentration camp of sin. Some know beyond a shadow of doubt they're already with God. It will only get more intense as life moves on. And one day it will be, faith will no longer be required. It's the one organ, the one interesting gift of the Spirit that you don't need faith when you can see Jesus, when you know what happened, when heaven is real, when you're there. Faith is replaced with sight one day. That will be fantastic. In the meantime, we need faith to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk about that. And to talk about heaven on earth and what that looks like and what will be, we do need to make carefully uh, define some terms. Define some terms. What is that word heaven? I'll start with the English term heaven. Uh, and I don't like some of the newer uh, dictionaries so well, so I, I referred to an older one. Because I thought they're, they, I don't know, it just seems like sometimes the previous generations are a little bit more precise with sometimes with their words. Especially in recent decades, we've gotten pretty flabby in our linguistics. Uh, you may disagree, but that's my assessment. Anyways, here, here's, the, here's what heaven used to mean in the English language. Three possible things. One, heaven is the region of the atmosphere in which the clouds float, the winds blow, and the birds fly. I like that. A child might say, that's the sky. That's the sky, the blue stuff, the clear stuff. This summer it was somewhat hazy stuff, the yellow stuff. <laughs> Second definition for heaven, beyond that. So we keep, with each heaven definition, we're going to uh, sort of zoom out a little bit beyond that, okay? Because the next heaven includes the thing, the sky, and actually everything beneath the sky, what you're scurrying upon, uh, because we're on a planet. 
So the second definition for the English word heaven is this. It is the expanse in which the sun, moon, and stars are seen, which has the appearance of a vast vault, from our vantage point, a vast vault or canopy overarching the earth. So it's like we went for a walk at the men's retreats, a few of us at night with fewer ambient lights, we could see the Milky Way galaxy, of which we know, at least theoretically, that we're a bit of. And with some big telescopes up in space, now we see that there are galaxies of galaxies. There are, there are, there are, there are billions. There are, there are trillions of galaxies. That's, that is the size of God's fingerprint, y'all. I mean, like, you're just, wow. You know? I mean, the, the ability of a God to create so much energy. It all flows from him, right? He, there's a silly little line in the, uh, I think it's kind of silly. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like, okay, that's a straight. How many dairy cows does Jesus need, right? How about this? He owns the galaxies in a billion galaxies. He, he owns every star. All, all are his, right? All of the, that are his. The, the physical, the known universe. And yet, according to the Bible, according to Scripture, according to Christ, there's even another layer up. There's a, a bigger one up. There's no telescope that will get you there other than God's word and his spirit. And it's this, the third definition of heaven is this. And this is what even a brilliant physicist like Stephen Hawking was never granted the faith to see, as far as I understand. So this comes only by God's grace, through his spirit, through Christ's blood, to see that heaven is the celestial abode of immortal beings, the habitation of God and his angels. It is the place of all glorified believers. I heard someone say, heaven is like God's natural habitat. And I like that in a way, because it's like, but don't think of it like the sandhill crane has a certain sphere, a sector of the Midwest where it lives. And heaven is the little sphere, the small you know, subset of the known universe that God dwells in. And thank heavens, he's left us alone. Not, not at all. Heaven means God is home. That's why when it says in the, in, the, in the, Jesus taught us that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it is being done without qualification, without delay, without any sort of uh, uh, dulling, God's will is achieved in this place called heaven. Uh, and there's a, a rather large book, 533 pages I checked this week, uh, a book called Heaven by a pastor named Randy Alcorn. And I don't know that just writing a 533 page book makes you an expert on heaven, not in the way that Jesus was and is. Uh, but uh, he has thought a lot about it, and he did think a lot about it, read a lot about it in scriptures. And so I do think Randy Alcorn has come up with a biblical perspective. I'm going to uh, show a quote if I can. There it is. Um, and, and I want you to, I'm just going to read this. I think his, his overview is really good. As we orient ourselves in our praying, uh, Father, would your will be done, your, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As we pray that way, listen to this. People usually think of heaven as the place Christians go when they die. A better definition explains that heaven is God's central dwelling place, the location of his throne from which he rules the universe. That's the definition. God's central dwelling place, the location of his throne from which he rules the universe. Many don't realize that the present pre-resurrection heaven and future post-resurrection heaven are located in different places. The exact location of the present heaven is unknown, but we are told the future heaven will be located on the new earth. 
The present heaven is a place of transition between believers' past lives on earth and their future resurrection lives on the new earth. Anyway, so that's a big picture thing, which is maybe confusing to many of you, especially if you're newer to church, that kind of thing. You're thinking, well, I thought, you're telling me that heaven develops? There's like a, 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 a development in, in this thing? Heaven? Yes, there's a development. I think of it as good, better, best. If you come to Jesus, life right now will get good because he's wonderful to do life with. And then when something will take you out, and unless Jesus, unless Jesus comes back in your lifetime, something will take you out. You will die from something. And if you're in Christ, it gets better immediately. The best day when you die that is, is better than the worst. There's no days compared to being with Jesus. It's better. But it's not done yet. God's not done lavishing awesomeness on you. Because when he comes back with his redeemed in his sort of train of glory and settles down and dwells with man on earth and making earth heaven in the sphere of God's domain, his home, it's awesome. Then it gets the best. So that's where we are. Uh, heaven is where the will of God is done. That's where I'm going to use that definition. It is God's, heaven is God's central dwelling place, the location of his throne from which he rules the universe. Heaven is the place where God, the will of God is, is done, where he's calling the shot. That's why it's his, his home, right? Uh, it's his home. Uh, there might be, one guy said there are, I think, 7.8, whatever the number is, billion wills on the planet right now, human beings. I don't know how many fallen angels there are. There's no count given that, that way. The 7.8 billion wills on the planet, but there is still only one in heaven. Do you understand? There is still and only will ever be one will in heaven. I wonder if you might turn with me to the very last book of the Bible. If you basically, if you, if you've never been to Revelation, it's a unique book, but it's, it's hard to read and difficult to read. But in the last couple pages of the Bible, looking at the second to last uh, chapter, Revelation 21, I wonder if you might read with me the first five verses. There it is. Thank you, Brenda. 21 verse 1. This is a description of the end of the end. Now, in the program of God, this is something yet distant, maybe in the future, but soon to come, or could it come instantly. God can, can achieve a great deal in a short amount of time. He may yet do that in your lifetime. Here it is, 21 verse 1. Listen to this description of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So when we pray, Father, your will, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, Oh God, just come, please. Would you just win? I'm tired of weeping. I'm tired of grieving. Uh, children, when I read mourning, it wasn't talking about no more day, that sort of thing. It was saying no more grieving the loss. I like how Randy Elkhorn said, when, when I lose someone, I don't really lose them, it's, but I, I wait for them. Right? I've lost contact with them. Because in Christ, you never, you never lose connection to the beloved, Jesus or those who are dying in him. Right? 
So kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're inviting God to advance his program, to move it forward. Maybe you're saying, would you move it forward at a faster clip, please, Lord? <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. And as you get older, the older saints know what I'm saying. You just get worn out. I'm just sick of it. I just want to be with you. I, I want to be in heaven. Father, uh, save us. It's more than save me. Because this is a corporate prayer. Uh, our Father who art, our Father who art in heaven. It's not so much only Jesus save me, like rescue me from the jam. It's rescue us. Apply your kingdom work. Uh, install your reign in my life and in this world. Rearrange all the systems that I sit under, that I suffer under, and make them all be rightly ordered in their loves. Now, please, soon. Come, Jesus, when, please. He says uh, in chapter 22, I won't read the whole chapter, but it's the very last uh, chapter in the Bible, but three different times, and you know in Scripture when something is repeated three times, we're meant to see that as like God really, really, really is going to do this. Like it's for sure take it to the bank. Holy, 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 those sort of triplet things. Uh, Jesus says three times, Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. Verse 20, surely I'm coming soon, says Jesus. And I love what John the Apostle, who saw this, who would be the best interpreter on what this symbolic book means and all that is going on. He said this, his response, and it's just the end of the book of Revelation, is a really good response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Like, he saw all of the graphicness of, of Revelation, the ugliness, the tribulation, the yuckiness, everything, and the glory of God. And he said, yes, come, Lord Jesus. I like that response. That's what we're praying. Because as I think it was uh, Thomas More who said, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Not that it cannot heal, but that it will not heal. Everyone uh, who dies in Christ, who trusts in Christ, who dwells with God and God with them now and eternally, is by definition healed whole. Now that means that those who don't fit with God, who don't dwell with God, who are uncomfortable in his house, who are uncomfortable with him, and actually who stiff-arm God, and you can do that in this world, because for now, God has permitted uh, insurgency. He has permitted uh, someone to defy him, Satan, and a great deception and delusion uh, to, be, to be cast over like a, a blanket, like a, a thick fog, like a murk in the, the soul. And, and there are those who don't want anything to do with God. And who will actually go to the grave uh, forswearing him. Do not want God. And, and there, there, there's a warning given there at the end about these people. Uh, that those who are going to be given over to these things. Uh, he, it, it's, so, it's so sad. Um, it says in verse, uh, 20, chapter 22, verse 10. May, may, I, may I read those verses? Uh, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Like Jesus said, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, y'all. Okay, let's take him at his word. Verse 11. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. What it's, he's saying, what, it, what that means is this, that if you're not happy with God as ruler of your life, you won't be happy in eternity with God as ruler of your life. If you really want to stay at the center, that's what hell really is. C.S. Lewis is right. Hell is just you continuing to be at the center. Are you happy with that? There's a description of those who are. Outside, verse 15, outside the gates are the dogs. That means beasts. 
Some of you are dog lovers. That doesn't mean like people who pet puppies. It means beasts. Outside of the beasts, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. If that's the way you want it, you, you will continue to get that. But I tell you and warn you now, it will never satisfy if you're at the center. You'll never be satisfied. You'll always be aching for someone more, something more. And if you know Christ, if you desire for God to be in your life, you can have him. And actually, when Jesus says, when that condition occurs, when you turn your life over to him, you don't just get to heaven someday. Heaven starts now. Because what is heaven? Remember the definition. Definition of heaven is God's central dwelling place, the location of his throne from which he rules the universe. Well, wait a second. If God can dwell with me by his spirit, then like Paul talks about us being a temple, a new temple, we are his, he dwells in us, with us, in relationship, and if, if he's ruling the shot, well, that means I'm in heaven now. <laughs> the church is wrong. Dallas Willard said it very well. The church has taught all these years, the gospel is, is just how to get to heaven when you die. That's not what Jesus said. It's not how to get to heaven when you die, it's how to get to heaven now. <laughs> how heaven begins now. Remember when he said over and over, in Matthew's gospel, turn back there, Matthew 3, I think it is. I hope I'm right. <laughs> yeah, John the baptizer said it very well, very beginning of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 3, verse 1, in those days, John the baptizer, the Baptist came, he preached in the wilderness of Judea. What did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark's gospel, at the very beginning, I know that one. Mark 1, let me find that. Mark chapter 1, hold on. What did Jesus say? Verse 15. Well, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, that's the same guy who just said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What did he proclaim? He said this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, when someone comes to you, we had a great sweet corn at the men's retreat yesterday or Friday night. It was the best sweet corn I had all summer long. It was I know you're jealous. It was good. <laughs> it was the best sweet corn I've had in a very, very long time. It was good. Enough of that. Anyways, uh, if someone said to you, sweet corn season's arrived. Finally, an excuse to eat butter in a great quantity, quantities, right? <laughs> Finally, sweet corn, right? Well, it's at hand. It's arrived. You go to a stand. What, when you say sweet corn's at hand, you mean go grab some, right? You can get it. You can access it. It's available. What the gospel is, is the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, the rule of God, the dwelling of God is with men and women. Now, he, you, he's available to you. You can live an ordinary life in heaven right now because you're with God. Now, that doesn't mean like heaven is just that invasion of like super spiritual moments when someone gets to preach or share a testimony or, or share the gospel. Those happen. But heaven is when you're changing a diaper and ordering even yuck into God's kingdom, bringing order and love, even on little bottoms, when God's with you, when you're doing it for his glory, when you're not grumpy about it and complaining and whining, but loving his calling for you. Do you understand? Loving life. Because God is the one who loves life. There was a different guy who was in favor of death. A guy named Pharaoh who followed another one who was against life. Satan. God's will is done. God's will is perfectly done in the one place in the universe where it's done without defect, without any uh, error, any deviation, is heaven. 
It's done completely, perfectly, enthusiastically. In Isaiah 14, I wonder if I could bring that passage up. There it is. This is a description of how this, we got into this jam. Fortunately, uh, it did not begin with us. There was another being, an angel, that, an archangel that fell. It's described in Isaiah 14, but listen to this, this being, its description, and its, its raging. Uh, his, his raging at God. Verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the, the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The thing about the Lord's Prayer is you, you can't actually pray the Lord's Prayer and keep using I will, I will, I will. It doesn't work that way, does it? Our Father, who art in heaven, thy will be done. Father's in heaven, and we delight in that. We ache for his will to be done on earth, for it to pray, we press down. And, and the response of, the, of God to this being who would shout at him and rage at him, I will, I will, I will, is he brings him down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And Revelation is described that way in chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you, and that's plural, multiple dimensions of heaven. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Isn't that a thrill? Now, I know it's a real bummer to be living on a planet in defiance to the living God, who you know to be Jesus, who, I mean, can you imagine a God giving more than his only begotten son who would die for you, take his place? I mean, your substitute. There's just no better way of seeing the greatness of a God and his heart for you and his compassion and passion for you and to still be defying him in light of the cross. It's obnoxious. It's evil. It's wrong. But the time of such thinking is short. And Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon, he said. I don't know why God did not immediately condemn and permanently destroy and just remove that offensive agent, Satan. Why he permitted Eve and Adam to be, be, uh, be tempted. Why all that has happened in the fall and the curses that we have endured these many millennia. I don't understand this mysterious will of God, but I do know this. That perhaps by doing that, the cleverness can be of, of, of Satan and all those who be with him and in his camp thinking, I will, I will, I will. That all human beings, you add them all up, all us billions over human history, all our stories in defiance of God, all put them out and we all compare notes and we all will agree that nothing good will ever come of any will that's opposed to God. There's not one person who got it right whose God was wrong and they were right. In fact, quite the contrary. Psalm 1830 says this, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. All those who cry the blood of the Lamb, who by the word of their testimony overcome the evil one, who the blood of the Lamb washes clean, who did not love their lives unto death. That is, they did not put their eyes and fix their sights on this world, their life on this earth, getting ahead here. They wanted to get ahead there. With God, nearness to him, proximity to Christ, fullness of joy. That's what we're talking about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at 
hand. Dozens of times, Matthew's gospel refers to the kingdom of heaven. And Luke 17 says the kingdom of heaven is in your midst because the central dwelling place of God, by definition, when God is on the throne in a sphere or a sector or a life on this planet, there heaven has broken in. Charles Spurgeon said, little faith, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. What he means is, yes, I remember when I was a child in the faith and younger, and, and the Lord was challenging me on whether he should have more sway in my life. And I remember consciously thinking, Jesus, and I even said this in my prayer, that's how bold a young man I was. Jesus, I'm glad that you covered my sins, but this whole career thing, I got it. <laughs> Isn't that what Satan did? I will, you know, or, or whatever it is in your life. This whole marriage thing, I will pick who I'm going to marry, or whatever. You see, they're all the same boast. It's incredible hubris. You're an empty helium balloon. Why are you boasting in what's inside? <laughs> Turn to God and rearrange your life. Big faith is this. Larger faith is seeing that you can have God now and then it's a great adventure with him. Now let's stretch your faith. He'll ask you to do difficult things. God, when God comes into your life, he asks, he wants to bring, so what God does in his church, I don't know totally why all the reasons why the church in this age, what, how it all is working and why, why the devil is permitted such a long leash, but I, but I know this, that, that in his colonists, in his saved ones, his pilgrims they're called, sojourners, aliens, we don't fit anymore if we're in Christ, we're now alive, living in zombie land, in dead land, in death land, but when there's one person in life, uh, in one little sector, maybe just one little house, one little marriage, one little household, one little workplace, at least there's a representative who can bring by their desire of conforming their will and their decisions each and every day to God, it's breaking heaven into that place, into that sector, as they have sworn allegiance to Christ, and so they're desiring to bring God, heaven, even into ordinary things, into very mundane things. You think, well, heaven is like, yes, it's the big picture. Yes, it is the program of God achieving its ultimate end, which is every enemy now bowing at his feet because they cannot endure the holiness and the power of his name. It is every knee bow and every tongue confessing. We're not there yet. But for now, it's for once in a while, those of us who know Christ, who shelter in him, refuge under his wings, bringing order to the problems that we've been dealt with. It's, it's bringing heaven now. And I have this, God has brought a testimony for us that it, it just is fantastic. It's, just, it's right on point because I understand, I have this, I have this, I have this uh, handicap. You think, well, well, pastors have this like ongoing dwelling relationship they need to because they're preaching. And, but us ordinary guys, we got ordinary problems. We can't solve problems like fixing a mower or whatever. Beloved, the Lord's Prayer does, does not restrict how you pray. It doesn't say this only applies to spiritual matters. What, it say, what Jesus taught us to say is, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, where? As in heaven, so on earth. Bring order, God, in every detail of my life, in small details and the things I challenge with. There's a younger, a new man, uh, I'm going to ask Paul to come up now. Paul and Melanie are newer to our church, so if you don't know their names, I'm sure he doesn't know your 200 names yet. <laughs> but when he shared this testimony with me last Sunday after service, I said, this has got to be spoken. Because he can say what I wanted to say way the heck better than I can. Right. Thank you, Paul. Welcome, will you? Welcome him, Paul.
Okay. So, yeah, I was inspired last week to talk to Pastor Josh about this, and um, and so it goes. So my family, we we it's we fish at a resort in northern Wisconsin, and it's a place we've been going to for years. And the owners are become very close friends, and we've had privilege, my wife and I, to really build and encourage them in their walk with the Lord, which has begun fairly recently. So anyhow, um, the owner, he's in a he loves history, and um, so they have, of all things, a jukebox in their resort that plays records like some of us remember, <laughs> <laughs> and people enjoy it a lot. Anyhow, uh, last fall it quit working, unbeknownst to me, so we were there this spring, and we found out it wasn't, and um, so I, I agreed to look at it. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I'm not a trained technician on such piece of equipment. Nobody is anymore. And anyhow, so he gave me the manual, and in our off times when we weren't fishing, I would, he gave me the key, to the key to the bar, and I would go in there and look at it. And off and on, I'd look at this thing, and was getting absolutely nowhere with it, even to the point where I about messed it up. So anyhow, time goes on. My wife and I are out on a Wednesday night. Our last, we leave on a Saturday. My wife and I are out fishing on a Wednesday night. And we're, we're casting for muskies, looking for something. And um, so anyhow, we're, we're talking about this. And let me just give me a, I gotta put my glasses on. Yeah. Okay, so we, we were talking about Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I'll read that to you. And the heading is encouragement to pray. <sighs> Ask. And it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or to what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall you, your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good unto those who ask him? So, my wife, she, pulled a very, she prayed a very bold prayer on the water. And she said, Lord, show Paul what to do to fix this thing Thursday, which is tomorrow. And I said, boy, that's a bold prayer. And I, <laughs> but I agreed. She did also add that uh, we could raise a muskie. <laughs> now, the funny thing is she did. We, we didn't raise one, but something hit her bait. So the following day, after fishing in the morning, I returned. And the Lord showed me what to do. And I pulled that thing from the wall, pulled the back cover off where it had never been before, and revealed the broken wire. About the size of a guitar string, he revealed it to me. And the rest is history. I repaired it successfully. And the Lord showed me. And it's that simple. And he worked through me, a vessel. But I'll tell you, I got the thing working, and my pride wanted to set in. But I gave the Lord the glory. Yeah. And many were able to witness such a thing through me, a vessel, and I'm so thankful. And he's done that for me so many times. And what a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah Thank you, Paul.
bless you. Yeah, so I wanted you to hear that story because that seems like in this cosmic scheme of things, an old, historic, broken-down jukebox, does that really matter? It does to Paul now, right? It gave him an opportunity to glorify God. Preaching is not the only way to glorify God, y'all, right? Stop dealing with God as though he's in a compartment He dwells in your hearts by faith. You have access to the King of Kings. Do you think he can fix a jukebox? (laughs) He can. can. So thank you, brother. I'm going to finish with a poem because I I read this from Elizabeth Elliot, and I'm going to end with this, and the team can start moseying on up here. But listen to this poetic way of saying the title of the poem is Do the Next Thing. And I've used this in in times of grief in my life. but, But in light of heaven, do the next thing. All right, that's kind of, that's what I would press before you. Listen to her, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, um, a dear saint of some generations past. At an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. It's quaint Saxon legend deeply engraven that, as it seems to me, teaching from heaven. And all through the hours the quiet words ring like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment let down from heaven, time, opportunity, guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king, trust that with Jesus. Do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly. Casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings. Do the next thing. Looking to Jesus, ever serener, working or suffering, be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, the light of his countenance, be thy psalm. Do the next thing. Father in heaven, I think of what potential this week might afford this region. As 200 saints uh, recognize that you listen as we pray and have come to you with boldness through the blood of the Lamb. With no doubt a dozen problems each, that's a big number, Lord. 2,000 ways heaven might break in this week. As we, each of us, scurry about and do the next thing that you and your providence have given to our hands, but we do it with our eyes of faith fixed on you, with heaven bringing order to even a little place like this, mundane, broken down, corrupted, but still the apple of your eye, your people upon it. Grant us grace and favor. I pray, and now this blessing, that the story, the testimony of Paul, as he gave you a credit for helping him find a wire and to repair it, that each man, woman, and child here, in the sound of my voice, might pray boldly and might fix the problems and know that it is you who are with them who does it, and that we might walk in step with you, dancing with the Holy Spirit, for Christ's glory. Amen. Amen.